0: Bring the love of Wisconsin's outdoors in through the beauty and quality craftsmanship of Pella Windows and Doors. Lock in your prices by February 28th and get zero percent interest for up to 48 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show.
1: Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and
2: Text Live. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. You know, whenever I hear the, the sports leagues say, well, it's about the fans, and we always put the fans first and stuff, I re- remember nights like tonight, because tonight in the NBA, it's not about the fans at all. TNT. Turner Network Television has a contract with the NBA, and on Thursday nights they have double headers, right? Okay, so that's the deal. So tonight at 6.30 Central Time, Memphis plays Cleveland. That's the first game. Then at 9 o'clock at night, Los Angeles, the Clippers play the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, I am bring this up because... That is a home game for the Milwaukee Bucks. So let's put this another way. It is a cold Thursday night in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Tomorrow is a school night. It is a work night. And the game isn't going to start until 9 o'clock at best because if the Memphis-Cleveland game goes a little bit long, chances are they will delay the tip-off a little bit of that so they can get the game. So best-case scenario, if you have tickets to that game tonight, best-case scenario, it ends... Well, I don't know. Eleven thirty. Chances are you're not going to get home till midnight or or later. Why is this? Well, again, it's because apparently that the TV networks have decided that they like LA Clippers versus Milwaukee better than they like what are some of the other games? Uh, Golden State at Denver, uh, New Orleans at Dallas. But so the game's gonna start at nine o'clock central time, meaning like I say, if you go to that game you'll be lucky to be out of there by midnight. Now that that's look, I it, it's fine, the Bucks get to do what they want, the NBA gets to do what they want, but whenever you hear people say, Well, it's all about the fans, it's about the fans No, starting a Thursday night game, you know, at, at nine o'clock at night or later in Milwaukee, Wisconsin isn't about the fans at all. It's about T V Pure and simple. Now, maybe it'll be cool having that late night game and things like that. And look, if the Bucks win, and look, the, I get it, the Clippers are a good matchup with the Bucks, but truth of the matter is, I tell you, uh, on a school night, that is a late game. All right. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's program, and this is one of those shows. Where we're going to move through topics quickly, and I understand that there will be some topics that I think you you agree completely with me with. Maybe there's gonna be some that you disagree with me on, but I guarantee you, an interesting three hours. Let's start with this story. There is a lot of conversation about how people need to be accepting of individuals who are transgender. There's a lot of different conversations. The, The Supreme Court is going to be taking up a case Involving bathrooms, the the whole concept of you know, do uh, can schools have rules that say that you know you have to use a a bathroom based on what your your biology is, and they'll be deciding that. A couple of appeals courts over the years have said no that the, the schools can accommodate anybody, and so if a girl wants to, use, uh, if a biological girl who identifies as a boy, wants to use the boy's bathroom, that's okay, and vice versa. Supreme Court is going to be taking a look at that coming up. There's other issues as well, but this is a story that kind of goes to the heart of it. Um, There's a small town in Ohio, and the local YMCA apparently has a patron who identifies as a female person's name is Darren Glynn's goes by the name of Rachel so biologically a male identifies as a female okay got me so far this individual has not undergone any transgender surgery so in other words biological male identifies the female has all the male body parts And the person, the individual, well, Rachel, has been using the female locker room at the YMCA. All right. A number of patrons have complained because apparently they are in the locker room and it's it's a couple adult women, but it's also a couple adult women who have been in there with their daughters, teenage daughters and younger. And they say at the end of the bench, there's a man you know, and because, all right, Rachel is changing clothes and Rachel has all the male body parts. So they have complained. They start complaining to the YMCA. They go, they go to the front desk and a, a woman yells, hey, she says, hey, um, I don't know if you know what's going on in there, but there's a naked man who's walking around in the locker room. And apparently the people at the desk say, no, no. This is actually a woman, and you shouldn't be disturbed by this. At which point in time, the patron says, it's not a woman, it's a man, and how dare you tell me what I should be disturbed by or or not? Now, the story gets, it, it kind of gets more aggravated because there's now a question about whether or not the male Rachel, the biological male who identifies as woman, is going to be charged with indecent exposure or not? I, I don't want to go down that route. I, I don't want to go down that route. I want to talk about the the approach that the people at the desk have, essentially saying, "Look, um, you know, this is this is your problem. You shouldn't be disturbed by the fact that there is a person." who's walking around the women's locker room in front of your children that has all the male trappings on them. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, again, see, to me... I, what I find to be interesting about this story is that this isn't about, you know, should you be accepting about the fact that, you know, people are transgender or not, or that people identify as males or females, is something different to their birth sex. That, that, that's, that's one question. But to me, the other question is when somebody who hasn't undergone that, those procedures, and who for all intents and purposes is physically a male, If if the ladies in the locker room with their children, if they want to complain, do they have a legitimate right to complain? The YMCA says, hey, this, you know, you shouldn't be disturbed by this. Um, You know, under no circumstance will we investigate an individual's birth identity and then assign individuals to locker rooms. So, in other words, they're saying, you know, anybody can identify wherever they want. And if you don't like the fact that there is a biological male wandering around the locker room in front of your children, it's your problem. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. What do you think about this response? See, I, I actually look at. The, the the transgender use of lot of bathrooms differently than locker rooms because in in bathrooms you're you're in a stall for for all intents and purposes so if you have a biological male who identifies as a woman and who wants to use the ladies room well it doesn't matter she she's going to go into a stall and, and vice versa locker rooms to me are a different story and this 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 story out of i i of Ohio kind of demonstrates that got a 31 year old biological male with all the male parts who identifies as a female and she, with all the male parts, is using the YMCA women's locker room and parading around naked, and a couple of the patrons who are there, especially with their juvenile daughters, they're complaining. There's a naked man in the locker room. And the YMCA's response is, well, we're not going to ask people uh, to prove, you know, we're not going to require people to conform to, you know, their their biological genders, and you shouldn't be disturbed the fact that there is a biological male walking around in all their glory, in the ladies' locker room, I, I just that—that's their—that's their response. I just don't know that that's a good response to tell the people that hey, it's your problem that there is somebody who, for at least outward appearances, looks like a guy who's prancing around naked in the ladies' locker room. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Mary Jo and Waukesha. Mary Jo, you're on WTMJ. Mary Jo,
0: regular basis, and this is absolutely unbelievable. I don't know where we're going to, but these patrons have every right to complain. I I wouldn't go to that why or any other why that promotes this this policy. I think it's dangerous. I think it's absurd that the LGBTQ plus community is is having this happen with them. Um, I, I don't know what to see. I think we're all going to hell in a handbasket. This is ridiculous.
2: Yeah. Well, th- thanks for the call, Mary Jo. I guess see, I, I mean, I, I think that it, to me, to me, it's interesting. I understand that the, the whole transgender issue. I, I, I get it. At the same time, I think it's interesting that people who don't buy into this completely are being labeled as the ones that are, you know, transphobic or haters or whatever, without recognizing that there are some balancing acts. Now, one of our texters said, well, you know, wives have a, a family, most whys have like a family changing room. Well, why does it, if they don't like the fact that Rachel... With boy parts is in the women's locker room, why don't they just use the, the family changing area? And, and my response was, Well well, why wouldn't you have Rachel use the family changing area? You know, why wouldn't we do it that way? Um, if, if Rachel doesn't feel comfortable changing in the men's locker room, even though you know she has male genitalia. Um, why why not why not use that that that, that in between stage? But the idea that if anybody is offended by this or is upset with this, because, I mean, chance, look, here, here, here's the deal. I mean, if you've got a six and eight year old or an eight or ten year old daughter, I don't know if they've seen male genitalia or not, but I suspect they probably don't expect it to see it in a locker room and to tell them or the mothers that, hey, this is your problem is, I I think, a peculiar response. Now, the why gets to do that, by the way. And I'm taking no position on the, the way the reason the story is in the news is there's a push to charge Rachel with indecent exposure. And I, I take no position on that one way or the other. But, I mean, the Y has a right to do that. I'm just if if the people and the patrons said, look, this is just unacceptable to us and we're going to cancel our Y membership. I, I think they would be well within their rights to do that. Let's talk to Christine in Greenfield. Christine, you're a WTMJ. <laughs> Hi Jeff Hi Christine um, hi. hi Jeff how are you I am well thank you um, I, w- what do you think about this whole thing? Well first
0: of all I want to say I enjoy your show every day I try to listen to it when I can um, thank you. second of all I think that the I think the person who identifies with whatever they identify with whether it be sex an object or a species, They need to go into the according bathroom or locker room according to their body parts. I think Mm -hmm. that the Y is just so afraid that the LGBTQ community is going to come after them. And before you know it, you've got people picketing outside. And I think that the majority should not have to suffer for the minority.
2: Well, okay, let, let me let me. You, you know, you, you use, use the word suffer. I guess that the question would be, and we had a story like this in Milwaukee not, a couple of years ago, time, time Flies, where you had a biological male who was, who claimed that, that, Claimed that they identified as a female, and they were going into like women's locker, the women's locker room, and they were sitting in in the sauna naked, and and people were complaining about that. And the discussion was, hey, you know, you're in the women's locker room, you walk into the sauna, and there is a naked male, might identify as a female, but there's a naked male there. Why should you care? I guess that would be the that that was what the question was that was posed. Why is it a big deal that you walk into the ladies' locker room with your kids and there's Somebody that's got male genitalia that's prancing around the locker room naked.
0: I think because it's not up to the public to educate our children, shall I say, on mm-hmm. body parts or what have you. I still I think that whatever somebody identifies as, the no matter what they identify as, they should go into the according
2: restroom according to their body parts. End of story. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Christine. I appreciate that's what it. Well, no, and I, I mean, that's – no, and I, I guess I, I – see, part of this, and, and one of the things that really caught my attention about the story was that the fact that the, the why in this case just just didn't, didn't get it. Well, we, we would never – I mean, their statement was, well, we would never ask one, under no circumstance will we investigate an individual's birth identity and then assign individuals to locker rooms, to which I'm saying, what – I mean, so in other words, it's just I a just, free fall, then. I
0: think people are worried about lawsuits and people picketing, and you know, people pick up these stories and they run with this. And I think the business is just afraid to stand their ground.
2: Yeah, thanks for the call, Christine. I, I do appreciate you joining us, and thanks so much for listening. I, I and, and it's difficult to have this conversation without, oh, you're 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 transphobic. You hate transgender people. No, it, it it's not that, but it's. <sighs> If you don't buy into this and if you, uh, again, are raising children or whatever, or I mean, this idea that, hey, you, you know, 25-year-old lady, 40-year-old lady, whatever, if you're in a locker room and there's somebody next to you who for all appearances is a naked man. I mean that it's somehow your problem with this. Now it's a whole different story if you've gone through the the transgender, you know, the 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 physical changes and something like that. That's a whole story. And again, I I think it's it's a much more complicated issue when it comes to bathrooms because in the situation with bathrooms, you're you're not following people into stalls, so you you don't know with certainty. But this is this is different. The locker room situation is different. The saunas situation is is different. And I, I think at some point in time, while I think it is important to respect those people who are going through transitions and that small percentage of people who fit into the transgender community at the same time doesn't don't other people have rights as well and to me again apart from the whole question of you know indecent exposure charges and things like that, which to me go to the heart of to me that the key element is okay, was the person really a transgender person or were they just trying to use that as an excuse to get into the women's locker room? And I don't know any of those facts. that's, that's, That's a whole different question. I just thought this is interesting that the Y apparently has taken the position that it's your problem if you... Are in the ladies' locker room, and there is somebody who is biologically a male there. How dare you complain? I think my reaction in that circumstance would be, okay, that's when I turn in my membership and find some other health club. But as you might expect, that last topic really kind of lit up our, our text line. Jeff, I'm a liberal, and this is wrong. Well, to me, th- th- this, this isn't a liberal or a conservative thing, and it's it's not even to me. It's not even a tolerance question. It's a in the category of can't we get along? I mean, I, I understand there's a small percentage of the population who has the, the transgender, who is the you know, boys, man born in a bull, female's body, or, or vice versa, and I think you need to be tolerant of that. I, I get it, but that doesn't mean that we don't recognize that there's not differences between men and women, boys and girls, and things are appropriate, and, and to me, the easy answer is, if you're, you're at a Y, and you've got that family-changing area, okay, that's that's where if you're if you've got the male genitalia and you're uncomfortable being in the male locker room, okay, that's the place for you and vice versa, not not walking around naked in the ladies locker room even though you might identify as a woman, that the chances are a lot of the other people that are there aren't going to recognize that you identify as a woman and all they're going to see is the male genitalia and that's going to make them uncomfortable and don't they have rights as well? Just asking. Welcome back. What I want to talk to you next is is kind of related to what we talked about in the first half hour of the program and and bear with me because I know I'm going to take the long way around to get to the point I, I want to make. Over the last week or two, There's been some controversy involving the Milwaukee Bucks and then the Milwaukee Admirals. And and these events they've had, these gay pride nights that that they've had. And the Bucks got criticism because at halftime they ended up having a a drag show, which was actually kind of, I think it was sort of benign, but some people got upset with it. And Tuesday night, the Milwaukee Admirals, the minor league hockey team in town, they apparently, they, they had their own pride night and it became controversial. And I guess, first of all, I think let's understand why why these? Why like the? For example, let's understand what what are the admirals really in, out there to do? Yes, maybe they have a feeling collectively on social issues, but they're really out there to sell tickets. That that that's the bottom line. And the Brewers have done this for a number of years. The Brewers have one evening um, where they, they during May, I think, and they designate it. Okay, this is this is Pride Night, and they have a couple Pride, Gay Pride themed uh, giveaways that they do and things like that. And they, they go out and they market this and they market it aggressively and they sell tickets to certain groups who might not otherwise come to the baseball games. And my guess is the admirals are the, the same way. They're, you know, again, it's, it's a marketing thing and maybe they're making a statement about social causes, but they're also trying to say, okay, maybe we can sell tickets. Maybe we can go into certain bars or whatever and sell tickets and people who otherwise wouldn't come to a hockey game, we'll, we'll get them to come to a hockey game. And that's—I have no problem with any of that. And my general response to things like this is that if you don't like it or don't feel comfortable, just just don't go. Because this is this is different than the um, this is different than what we talked about in the last half hour of the biological male who is you know you know walking into the women's locker room. This is different. If, if for whatever reasons you don't like. The the fact that okay there's going to be some gay pride themed events you know going on at the Bucks game or the Brewers game or the Admirals game just, just don't buy a ticket you you can just you can stay home and I, I just I th- wish more people would kind of follow that sort of advice I mean I look I, I get this all the time we have. I, I'll and I really appreciate it. There's a lot of people, a lot of you listen to the program, and I appreciate that. And I would say about nine, 90% of the people in- enjoy the program. Don't always agree with me. That's fine. Life would be boring if we all agreed. But generally, you kind of like the, the program and things like that. And then I have 5 to 10% of people who are the folks that I call the I hate you every day crowd, people who just, just, I I don't like the program or don't like me or just disagree with everything, um, I think, because they feel compelled to do it and have no problem sharing that. And and it's I I just and that's fine. I've just never understood it, because if there's stuff that I don't like, I I don't patronize it. OK, I mean, if there's a commentator on MSNBC, for example, that that's fine. I just don't watch their show. It doesn't make any difference to me. Uh, life life is too short to read bad books and to drink bad bourbon and to hang out and to spend time doing things that make you upset. I don't have enough time in my life to do the things I want to do and spend time with the people I care about. I don't, much less so, I'm going to waste time with people that you know I, I don't like or or stuff like that. It's just, and and that's the way life is. But I recognize that there's a certain percentage of people who just don't, they're just challenged. I just, I, I don't like that. I, I hate that. And so, you know, other, so other people shouldn't be able to enjoy it. I don't like the Jeff Wagner show, so I'm going to write the FCC and I'm going to demand they pull him off the air. Well, you know, good luck with that. But we see that. So that's kind of the lead up to this story. There, they did a, a survey. It was a very controversial survey of UW campuses. And they were asking the students Essentially, how they felt about stuff that went on 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 the campus. Did they feel comfortable talking about their ideas and things like that? But the interesting, at least one of the interesting things that comes from this survey is they asked college kids. So this is college kids. They asked them whether the university should disinvite a quote unquote offensive speaker. That, that's the way. OK, if there is a speaker that is offensive, should the university cancel the invitation and not allow that person to speak? UW-Madison students, 43 percent strongly agreed when asked whether the university should disinvite certain speakers that people found to be offensive at uw Milwaukee. 38% of students agreed that prohibiting offensive speakers was the correct action. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, of course, the problem with this is who gets to define what is is offensive? Um, if you have somebody that wants to come on campus and talk about, for example, the, the Jewish experience. Could you have, um, you know, um, Arab groups say, no, 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 th- this this is offensive. We don't think Israel should exist, or or vice versa. Flip it around. Now, the way this plays out a lot of times on college campuses is it's it's the it's cons- it's used as a way to shut down conservative thought. You have this conservative who's going to come on and I don't know, have a conversation about. Anything from climate change to abortion to same-sex marriage or, or whatever. And the idea being, okay, if somebody is offended by that, or if enough people are offended by that, should the university say, no, we're, we're not going to let them come onto campus? And I guess that's the question, but also... It's amazing to me that, that 43% of UW-Madison students strongly agreed that the university should not allow speakers who are, quote-unquote, offensive. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right. what What about that concept? I mean, is it... Have we gotten to this point, whether it's on college campuses or other places, where if there's speech out there that someone finds to be offensive or that a certain group of people find to be offensive, should we just then cancel that speech? 855-616-1620. Okay, so here's the way that this plays out in in the real world. And and that's where it, it gets a little bit scary. So, l- let's say let's say you have a speaker who wants to challenge the conventional groupthink. Okay, let let's say you you have a, a speaker who wants to argue that they believe abortion is wrong, just for for the sake of argument. So, because you have A a loud vocal group, maybe even a majority, who feel that, no, abortion is is okay. And how dare you come up with a contrary sort of opinion? Does that mean that that person who feels that abortion is wrong shouldn't have have a right to express that, to speak that way? And that in this case, like a university, should disinvite somebody who wants to make that argument because a certain other group that might be in a majority or might be in a minority, whatever, they're the ones that are, they're offended by it so it gets canceled. What what does that say for the state of the country? I mean, look, if we, we, we've seen this debate play out during um, the, the recent, you know, our thing about COVID and vaccinations and all sorts of stuff. So let's say, let's say you have a speaker that wants to come on and wants to question the COVID vaccinations. I, I'm not an anti-vax guy, but the, the idea that, well, you know, we, we don't agree with that. So we we shouldn't even allow that speaker to be be heard. Well is that's I think that's, I think that that's scary. And again, this happens more now with the left trying to shut down the right. It used to be the opposite way around where when you had the whole start of the free speech movement in the 60s, it was, no, we don't, we don't want the people coming and talking about ending the war and, and, and we don't, we don't want to have that. We want to just have peace reign. So now it's kind of flipped. To me, it's like, look, if you've got a speaker who's controversial and you don't agree with their message, stay home. Don't go. It's real easy. 855-616-1620. Let's start with John in Brookfield. John, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hey, Jeff. Love the show. Thanks for taking the call.
2: Thank you for calling.
1: Um, yeah,
0: I think um, it's, it's incredibly troubling when you look, especially at universities. I think that, to me, universities, higher education, should be the front-line battleground of controversial ideas, whatever that idea might be. I mean, that's where we talk this out is among the universities. And I think recently, nowadays, it seems like the deans aren't even in control of these schools. It, you got kids 19, 20 years old in the driver's seat because they'll riot or they'll protest. And these schools are so scared to death that they literally
1: th- – this is affecting
0: right. free speech. And it's more importantly, it's affecting just how we handle these ideas. Instead of just shutting them down, well, you should – instead of even staying home, you should go and hear him yeah. out. More than likely, he's going to be a kook but either way getting exposed to that idea is very important.
2: Well well right and and again and if you're so very offended by the the concept that somebody would somebody would take a contrary position to yours on abortion I'm just pulling that out as an example that you just you, you don't feel you feel threatened and triggered by even being in the audience or hearing that then 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 you stay home if you can't handle it that that's okay stay home and you know do, do whatever else that you're going to do on a cold Thursday night. But, but this idea that sure. because somebody might, thanks a lot for the call. I really appreciate it, John. I mean, this idea that somebody somewhere might be offended by this idea. And that's what I thought was interesting about the, this question. They say you disinvite offensive speakers. Well, who gets to define who is an offensive speaker? And and go back to, I'll I'll use the example of the Middle East. There, you know, there's been a controversy in the Middle East for a long time. There are some people who believe that Israel has no right to exist. Well, if you have a speaker that wants to articulate that point, all right, is that is that offensive and to who? On the other hand, if you have a speaker who's very, very pro-Israel and views, you know, Israel as attacked by being attacked by the rest of the, the world and particularly by some people that you might define as extremists, do they have a right to express it? And my answer is yes; that they have a right to express it. You have every right. For example, on this program, we have debates on a regular basis. I know that there is a huge disagreement in this country, over what our involvement in the Ukraine should be. Because I I hear from you, you know, there's some people who think that we've got to stop Russia right now, and, you know, we should stop, you know, pussyfooting around and we should send in the F-16 fighter jets and we should do everything we can to stop Putin there are other people who believe very very strongly that hey we have no part in this you know this could be Afghanistan this could be Vietnam all over again it is not our interest well okay is is are you offended by the opposite views no these are discussions that you have to be able to have Mike in Illinois Mike you're on WTMJ good afternoon Jeff how are you I'm good. What do you think?
0: Both you and the previous caller hit the nail on the head, or the head on the nail. Um, It's it's so hypocritical of universities, especially, Um, and you ask the state. I don't know what it says about the state of our country, but the state of our educational system, it's just no opposing view. And like you said, in the 60s, it was flipped. The right would not want the left to speak, but they still did speak, and they found a way to speak. And hopefully the right is still finding a way to speak. When I was in school, I do remember I went to Indiana University. There'd be opposing views, even in the student newspaper, there were opposing views. Now, if I was at school right now, if someone was going to speak at a critical race theory, I would—I'm offended by their tenets, but I would not say, "Oh, they can't speak." I would welcome it, but I also would welcome someone, you know, speaking out against it, which I don't think would be
1: allowed at universities.
2: No I Mike no th- thanks for calling no I think that, that's a that's a great point it, it's it's how do you define this and uh, again I just if if there is something that you find an individual indiv- individual finds you know so so offensive that, that is out there that you feel that, you know, you, you don't even want to be part of it. Well, then again, stay home. And people are having all sorts of examples. Look, there is a kook fringe that is out there on certain issues. There are Holocaust deniers. I, I, I get it. Somebody was saying, you know, would you, would you have a Holocaust denier? Would you allow them to speak? And I, I guess my, my question would be, okay, well, what, what's the context of this? But, but, yeah, would I allow somebody to speak? Yes. Would I then apply perhaps, um, like the, the reality test there and say, okay, well, here's, here's the other side of this story and we're going to have other people that are out there. And see, that's what I've always thought about with, with ideas. Rather than trying to cancel ideas, you simply confront those ideas with other ideas. And, and not all ideas are equally valid. That, that's just the, the idea. That's the whole, That's the reality. Not everything is, you know, this argument has merit, that argument has merit. Some arguments, well, arguments, some have less, uh, have less reliability. Some are less valid than others. That's just the reality. But this idea that we're going to uniformly decide what concepts we are going to cancel and not allow people to speak, that to me is a very, very dangerous thing. And I guess the reason I really talk about it is you got 43% Of the people at UW-Madison, supposedly this liberal institution, who are strongly agreeing that, yes, the university should disinvite speakers if the speakers are going to be offensive. Well, again, where is there's no objective standard as to what is offensive and what isn't. But 43% of the college kids are saying, yeah, let's cancel them. Where is that coming from? Well, it's the end of the road for the crazy train. Ozzy Osbourne announcing yesterday that he is retiring from touring. Um, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, 74 years old, uh, who who looks all of 74 years old. Um, he's been suffering from Parkinson's disease. He's had three major surgeries um including one after he fell in 2019 if you ever watched the that reality the quote unquote reality show about the Osborns and stuff you you already saw that that years and years and years of of Hard living and abuse of your body. Ozzy killed a lot of brain cells over the years. There's no question about it. And now if you look at him, he, he, they say he's 74. I, I, I saw the film clips of him like walking with a cane and stuff. He looks, he looks like he's 95. But he's 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 about as old a looking 74 as you can imagine. And he's finally announced that he just can't go back out on the concert tour anymore. Just He says his voice is fine, uh, but his body just can't take it. So if you were holding on to Ozzy Osbourne tickets, hoping that he was going to make some sort of recovery, he's saying, no, that that's it. And I think the the real mystery, again, is... 74 years old. How how did he make it that long? But Ozzy Osbourne, he's still alive. He's still around, but he's not touring anymore. So cash in those tickets. Get your money back. Live
1: from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, it's Groundhog Day again, and that must mean that we're up here at Gobbler's Knob. Waiting for the forecast from the world's most famous groundhog weatherman, Punxsutawney Phil, who's just about to tell us how much more winter we can expect.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. That, of course, is the line, one of the scenes from the famous Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day. It is, by the way, Groundhog Day, and I think as everybody knows right now that the, the groundhogs have seen their shadows, and that means, if you believe that, six more weeks of winter. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm a, I'm a huge movie buff. Um, that that movie, Groundhog Day, like a handful of other movies, it is controversial to the sense that the people either love it or they hate it. For example, a Forrest Gump, there are people that, I mean, the vast majority of people love the movie Forrest Gump, but there there's a certain segment of people who just vocally just cannot stand that movie. Groundhog Day is the same thing. Part of it is because Bill Murray is somewhat polarizing. There's some people who either love Bill Murray, most people love Bill Murray, but there's some people who who don't. Um, but, but the movie itself, Groundhog Day, it's... <sighs> It's one of those where, if it's on, will I watch it? Have I seen it? Yeah, it's not one I go out of my way to watch, but I certainly understand that there are people who just absolutely love the movie Groundhog Day. Um, I just it's going to be on tonight. It's going to be on multiple stations tonight, I guarantee it, and I, I, I take a pass on it, but I understand that there are people who absolutely love it. All right. Let us get started. The big news today in the city of Milwaukee is that Northwestern Mutual is announcing that they are going to be planning a $500 million downtown campus project. They're going to be building another building downtown. They are going to be relocating. Um, 2,000 employees that are currently in Franklin. Now, this is contingent upon the city of Milwaukee coming up with $30 million, which will, in the form of a tax incremental financing district, but assuming the, the city does that and the mayor's on board and the common council's on board, Northwestern Mutual is going to be bailing on, on Franklin. And for those of you who might not remember the history of this, what happened is... Well, it was about 2004 is when Northwestern Mutual opened its first camp building on its Franklin campus. Then they opened another building in 2008. Um, They said that it was a $210 million project. City of Franklin provided the tax uh, incremental financing district from this. And back when they announced this, 2004 or so, they anticipated that they were going to buy enough land to meet their growth for the next 10 to 20 years. Um, It's an 80-acre site. It still has 16 acres remaining for future development. The company actually, about 10 years ago, considered expanding there and then decided, no, that they were going to go and, and come back downtown. And with this it's pretty clear that they're bailing on they're bailing on Franklin. The plan is to move all the employees out of the Franklin complex and then I think probably ultimately try to sell that. So what is good news for the city of Milwaukee is bad news for Franklin. There's no other way that you can spin it. The deal that the city of Milwaukee has cut, and this is not unlike what they have done with a couple other uh, businesses that they've tried to lure downtown. We'll go through that in just a minute, but they they have all sorts of conditions. For example, the the tax incremental financing district, the thirty million dollars, requires the company to have at least five thousand three hundred seventy five employees um, assigned to its downtown campus at the project's completion, and by twenty thirty, which is. Really not that long from now. They have to have at least 5,750 employees there and for the remaining 20 years or 23 years of the tax incremental financing district. So Milwaukee is saying we're going to give you this money, but what we need is there needs to be X number of people that are down here. Other conditions. Um, that uh, they have to use small business enterprises for at least 25% of the construction and supply costs and at least 18% of professional service costs on the construction of the project. They have to hire unemployed and underemployed Milwaukee residents for at least 40% of total on-site construction worker hours. Huh. That's going to be interesting to see if they can find enough people that fit into that category, and then they have to guarantee a fifteen-dollar minimum wage requirement with built-in escalators for things like that. So they, there's all these requirements that the city is putting in place. This is not unlike what the city has done in its efforts to lure a couple other big businesses there. Fiserv is going to move its headquarters from Brookfield to um, a building on North Phillips Avenue. Milwaukee Tool is going to be opening a new office at 501 West Michigan Street. They're going to keep their headquarters in Brookfield. Wright um, Height, which is a, a huge company, they're relocating from Brown Deer, and they're in a business park in Walker's Point, and other companies as well. So you have the city of Milwaukee, which has been very aggressive about going out and – providing financial incentives to lure businesses down there. The big selling point on this, if you talk to the, the businesses, they say that the urban location is what their employees want. Uh, matter of fact, that's that's one of the big reasons for doing this. Northwestern Mutual says having an attractive workplace in an urban area will help draw remote workers back to the office. It will also help attract and retain talent, and the argument is that uh, workers want to be in downtown areas, and by having your headquarters downtown, and by making people come downtown, that will make them more likely to want to work for the company, all right, so that's the, the argument. Now, the flip side of this is the aspect of of urban areas that we always talk about on this program, which is the completely and totally out of control crime that exists and, and Milwaukee is not unique, but crime is out of control in Milwaukee. Two hundred homicides in the city of Milwaukee. You have eight people in the month of January alone at least who were killed, you know, on the on the streets simply in, in traffic accidents, story after story after story of people killed when the speeding stolen car drives through the intersection and hits and and kills them. And so you do have this kind of dichotomy. The police come out with a statement last week saying, hey, um, if you're in the downtown entertainment district, understand that uh, there's been this rash of robberies, and the police advice is, well, okay, park in a lit area, okay? Try to find areas where there's cameras around and be aware of your surroundings, which... It's it's not necessarily bad advice, but it's not. Helpful. It's all that's telling you that, hey, you're, you're going to be a victim or be prepared to be a victim if you come downtown. We talk about the stories about people parking on the streets and folks going through with baseball bats or crowbars or whatever and just busting into cars randomly. Now you have a number of businesses, NM N- being the most recent one, that says, okay, well, we're, we're going to locate downtown because that's where people want to be. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank Talk and text line. I think it's great that you have these companies that are willing to commit to the city of Milwaukee and that they're willing to put their money where their mouths are. I, I think that's great. The companies operate under the assumption that the downtown area is where the younger workers want to be, and this will help them attract and retain their employees. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, five or ten years from now, how is this going to work out? And what needs to happen for it to work out? Is Northwestern Mutual right? Is Fiserv right? Is Milwaukee Tool right? that by moving back downtown or by moving downtown or by expanding downtown and getting out of the suburbs, it's going to make it more desirable for employees. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Okay, so Northwestern Mutual says, all right, we're, we're going to close down our, our Franklin operation operation. We're going to move 2,000 employees to Milwaukee. We're going to build a second office tower that's going to be down there. We're going to get these incentives from the city, but we promise that we're going to, you know, meet these different objectives and numbers. And we're going to have, by 2030, we're going to have 5,700 people plus working, you know, downtown in this particular facility. Northwestern Mutual, by the way, is the area's largest employer um, the theory and the thinking is that downtown locations will better help Northwestern Mutual attract and retain employees, especially younger ones who are more drawn to urban locations. All right. What do you think is going to happen five or ten years from now? 855-616-1620. John in Menominee Falls. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I have two questions. First one is, how is this going to uh, Frank? uh affect franklin's tax base are they going to be closing fire stations or reducing city services and number two um at mml are they going to have parking on site or is everybody going to have to find parking around the
2: area Uh, you know it's funny you said nml i still do that too old habits die hard you know it it, if if you are of a certain era you know we think of northwestern mutual as being northwestern mutual life i i still when i'm i'm writing like checks for life insurance premiums i still think of it as northwestern mutual life but you know they call themselves northwestern mutual now but uh, as old dogs it's tough to teach us new tricks you know <laughs> I, uh yeah so, thanks for the call john i mean to answer your question um parking i i'm i'm sure it's going to be on-site parking I, I mean i i think that's that's. I would be shocked if it's not. I haven't taken a chance to look at the designs, but I I know a couple of these other companies that have relocated, and and I know that's that's a big deal. It, it's parking. I mean, for for example, I mean our offices are, are downtown the avenue, and there's there's an attached parking garage, and there's lots of security that goes along with it. And I, I and whenever you know when I park down there, I I I've I never felt unsafe, but I'm. I know I know what the security is where I park, and like I say, I know a couple of these other big companies that have done the relocations. That was one of the big things, that you need to have secured parking um, because nothing's – the last thing you need is to have, I don't know, vandals running through your parking garage or your parking lot busting windows and stealing cars of your employees. So I, I'm sure that there's going to be secured parking that's going to be available. Um, as far as Franklin, well, th- look, there, there's no way you can sugarcoat this. You know, I mean, I just heard during the news they were talking to the, the mayor of Franklin. He said, oh, this is bad. This is bad for Franklin. I mean, it's bad for the tax breaks. You, you've got these, these buildings that were in a kind of a semi-residential area, and, and now they're going to be sitting vacant. Northwestern Mutual is going to try to sell them or whatever, I, I don't know how lucky they're going to be with that. But, no, short-term, this is not good for Franklin. Will it work out? 855 Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Hey, Jeff. My wife works for Northwestern Mutual. Uh, she works downtown, even though we live out in the burbs. And, uh, quite frankly, um, I do have concerns about her safety um she uh, is now in the company parking structure which is not all that big so they'll right. have to add on but uh before that she had to uh, park under uh, O'Donnell O'Donnell park and uh she would Walk. run into yeah and she she'd run into all kinds of people that were throwing up on their on steps going upstairs to the main uh, area, and just you know, not good. So I I do have concerns about this. Luckily, she's uh, retiring in two years. So
2: yeah, well, interesting. Thanks for the call. I I see. I I will be curious. Um, because at, at, the, the the thinking and the argument is that, that downtown campuses are what people want, particularly what younger people want. They they want to be there. And I, I understand that, but first of all, it does go hand in hand. I mean, look, here. here's the reality. If if you do not get, and this is my message to the mayor and the Common Council, if you don't get crime under control, none of this is going to work out because these employers, okay, it's great to say we're going to bring employees down there and employees want to be in the vibrant downtown, but if, if they're getting robbed, you know, when they're getting out of their cars or walking – you know, to restaurants or their cars are being vandalized or their cars are being stolen. Well, it doesn't take too much of that before people, just like our last caller, Jim, say, okay, enough is, is enough here. So it's great that you're attracting the businesses. But if you want the businesses to stay and the businesses say, Hey, we, we want this, this vibrant downtown atmosphere. I kind of question that to an extent because I understand why. Young people might like that, but the truth of the matter is, okay, may, maybe that's something that's attractive for a a twenty something person. All right, okay, this is this is great. It's, it's downtown. We've got this nightlife. We can walk to all these different things. There's bars and restaurants. That's fine. What happens though when okay that that twenty four year old college graduate? What happens when three or four or five years later they get married? And then they're all about starting a family. Well, they're they're not necessarily they're not going here. They're not going to. I'm just going to say it. They're not going to be living in a condo downtown at that point in time. Once you start to raise the family, well, that's when you you want the house and you want the, the suburbs and you want to get out of the MPS school system and you start looking around. So I I just I, I think that. It will be interesting to see. I understand the conventional wisdom is everybody wants to be downtown, and and this will be an attraction. And I get it, again, for that 24-, that 25-year-old college graduate. But once that 24-, 25-year-old college graduate turns 30, and they want to start having kids, and they're concerned about schools and things like that, they're going to want to get out of the city, and what is that going to mean for these businesses who've moved down? That's why if the city wants to continue to keep these businesses, you've got to get a handle on crime, you've got to figure out how to improve the school system, If you're going to have any chance, and that still doesn't defeat the fact that people, okay, you've got a three-year-old and you've got a one-year-old that's on the way. I mean, do you want to live in in a high-rise condo or apartment, or do you you want to get a house? And the answer is I think most people are going to want to get houses. This is a continuing trend. I think it's great for the city. I'm not down on it. I'm just not sure long-term how it's going to work unless the city of Milwaukee gets its act together. Um, We're just swamped with text on this. Let me just – all across the waterfront, actually. Jeff, people don't want to work downtown unless they're in their 20s. Jeff, it's a great idea until a couple of uh, employees get hurt driving in or out of work by a stolen car blowing a red light, um, or they're robbed at lunch by some armed robbery. Well, I I do – I think – That is a factor, and I think it's one of the reasons why Milwaukee's got to figure out how to get a handle on crime. Jeff, I'd be interested in knowing where all these employees are going to be coming from, where are they going to park, even better yet, how are they going to get there? Jeff, I'm a retiree from Northwestern Mutual. I love the Franklin campus. Parking downtown is a pain in the butt. Here's the flip side. Jeff, my husband retired from Northwestern Mutual about a year ago. The their employees parking in a company structure, and they use Skywalks to get to the office. The structures are well secured, so crime will be a minimal concern. We know young 20-somethings who work there and live all around downtown, the east side, etc. They don't like to drive to Franklin, so I think the company knows what it's doing. I, I, I See, and again, I understand the appeal of the, the 20-somethings, but those... T- Again, as I was saying earlier, those twenty-somethings quickly become thirty-somethings, and they get married, and they start having kids, and they don't want to—they don't want to live in the, the downtown condos. They want to have some space, and they want to make sure there's a good school district and stuff like that. And those—those and those are the challenges that you hear from. All right. <sighs> Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I've new another posting up there. As long as we were talking about crime in Milwaukee, the, the story that we have spent a lot of time talking about over the course of the last couple of days, and it's one of those that just it, it doesn't get much worse. This is the story: Friday night, um, woman with her cousin, I think, and a quote unquote friend um, are in a car. And also in the car is the woman's one-year-old, 13-month-old son who is strapped into a car seat, but the car seat's not secured to the the vehicle. So what happens is it's like 11 o'clock at night. They pull up in front of the woman's house. She and her cousin run into the house for a minute, leaving the friend and the baby in in the car. The The woman... 31-year-old woman who, by the way, does not have a driver's license and has never had a driver's license, steals the car. She takes off with the car while the other two are in the house, drives about two miles, and then apparently crosses over the the center line and smashes head-on into a minivan coming the other way. Interestingly, the minivan occupants all get out and run, so while well, they haven't said this, my my thinking is the minivan was stolen, so here you have a stolen car that now collides with a, a stolen minivan. Well, it's not funny, because what happens is that the one-year-old is killed. The, the one-year-old is dead in the crash because even though in the car seat, the car seat's not secured, and so the car seat goes flying. The woman who is the 31-year-old who is the driver of the vehicle, she, um, is, like I say, has never had a driver's license. And there's so much that's wrong with this. I, if, if you want to see a picture of her, uh, you know, who does something like this, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. But but here, here was my real take on this. Why aren't people taking to the streets and protesting the senseless deaths that occur day after day due to irresponsible people stealing cars and driving without licenses? I mean, it seems that there are groups that will take to the streets on a moment's notice to protest just about everything else. And yet in the city of Milwaukee, eight people killed in car crashes in January alone at at least – Where, where is the outrage? Where is the public pressure? Where are the community groups protesting outside the DA's office saying, hey, they're outside, you know, the home of John Chisholm or outside the home of these judges or outside the mayor? Where is the community outrage over the carnage that occurs on a daily basis in the streets? And the answer is, you get cricket. So if you, if you want to see my follow up on that, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, as we have talked about in the past, the um, University of Wisconsin system has – they have um, universities and they have colleges. There are 13 colleges. The, these are, are two-year two year programs, and they're attached to the various universities which are across the, the state. For example, um, let's see, uh, UWM, for example, uh, UW Waukesha and UW Washington County are um, a- attached to UW Milwaukee. UW Green Bay has UW Marinette, which is a two-year program. UW Manitowoc and UW Sheboygan. So that, that's that's how that's how it works. But these are two-year programs. Now, some of these two-year colleges are successful, and some aren't. UW-Richland Center, and Richland Center is in the southwest corner of the state. It's attached, it's a two-year program, it's attached to UW-Platteville, right? so that's how this works. Last, well, this year, the enrollment at UW-Richland was, take a guess, Take just to think. Think of a number in your mind. Okay. Well, to give you an idea, in 2014, so nine years ago, enrollment at the Richland campus was 567 students, which, which I would argue is crazy small, right? But now it was 567 in 2014. It is now dropped to just 60 students. 60 students, which is the lowest of all campuses in the system. And UW-Baraboo Sauk County, which is also attached to UW-Platteville, that only has 179. So anyhow, what's happened is the regents have made the decision that they are going to close the UW-Richland facility because there's almost nobody that's going to this and that the students that are there, there's going to be another year, but then, you know, they're, they're not going to take anybody else, and, and it's going to close. And it appears that UW-Baraboo might be on the chopping block as well, because, again, they're, they're down to 179. Well, there is a huge, a huge, you know, hue and cry uh, about this. And obviously, the people in Richland Center, they don't want to see it close because it's going to cost them money. The people you know in UW, Baraboo, Sauk County, they don't want to see that close. But the problem is there's nobody attending these schools. And there's a lot of finger pointing, well, it didn't, doesn't get enough support from Platteville or UW System or General. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, if they don't, I guess I just think this is kind of simple and straightforward. If you have facilities, that, no, in this case schools, that no one is attending or almost no one is attending, it makes no sense at all to continue to keep the doors open. And I understand that that might sound harsh and I understand that it might be an inconvenience, but at the same time, if this were the private sector, if this were the real world, and you had, you were a restaurant owner, for example, and you had three restaurants spread out through Waukesha County, for the sake of argument. And you had two of those restaurants that were doing really, really well, and you had one that nobody was going to, for whatever reason. Well, what would you do? Well, it's easy. You would close the restaurant that nobody is going to. So, if you've got 60 people, who are now at this two-year university, UW-Richland, how can you continue to keep the doors open? And if you only have 170 at UW-Baraboo, Sauk County, how can you continue to keep the doors open? Might that inconvenience some students a little bit? Yes, it it might. I understand that. They just have to make other plans. 855-616-1620. If you've got schools and nobody's attending them, does it make any sense to continue to keep them open? And my answer is it's obvious. Easiest question of the day, you close them down. What do you think? So glad to have you with us. Um, story uh, from a couple of days ago Richland County considering suing the UW system to try to force the taxpayers to keep the UW Richland campus open. UW Richland is one, one of the satellite you know, two-year colleges, uh, the attendance has dramatically dropped. It was never huge. 500, 600 kids in 2014, it's now down to 60. I mean, it's down to 60. So the UW Board of Regents is looking at this and saying we, we can't justify the the costs of keeping a university, a college that is a college open if it only has 60 people and there's no great ideas that are out there to boost its attendance. And now this has become controversial. To me, easiest question of the day, if if nobody's going, you can't keep the doors open, can you? Let's start with Brad in Madison. Brad, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I, uh,
1: Hi. I'm thinking if the... Uh area was represented by a powerful assemblyman or state senator, there wouldn't even be this discussion. So they're just getting jammed up because the UW is out of control. They got well, $60 million uh, for the football coach, but they have nothing for people who need to go to school.
2: Well, Brad, th- thanks for the call. I, I, I don't mean, I mean you say it's nothing for people who need to go to school. No, it's just a question of... No, nobody's saying that people can't go to school, but it's a question of, at least in my opinion, it's a question of of practicality. Um, it, you want to talk about wasting money, spending money to keep doors open for a college that has almost no students. That That's just a crazy waste of money. Now, do I understand if you live in Richland Center that this means that, well, okay, there, there might be an inconvenience. Maybe you've got to drive that the 60 students who would have been, who knows how many would have enrolled next year. I mean, it's down to 60. Does that mean that people at Richland Center, they have to drive to Platteville? Well, yes, and might that be a bit of an inconvenience? Yes, it, it would be. But th- there's no guarantee that you're going to have colleges that are, like, in the, the communities. Um, does it mean that maybe they have to look at at Okay, taking the people that are going to Richland Center and then having them drive over to UW Baraboo, that, yeah, but that's, that's just kind of life. I mean, I think you can make a strong argument, for example, that UW Stevens Point, which serves the UW Marshfield Wood County and Marathon County UW, okay, so maybe it's going to be an inconvenience that people in those communities have to, to drive, but that's, that's just, it, it is, it's just the reality. If you've got any sort of business, that's not performing, that has, for whatever reasons, you don't have the business, you don't have the people, nobody's attending. You can't just simply say, okay, well, we're going to continue to keep the doors open. I mean, this this has actually been one of my big beefs all along. You see this, and to the, the point that Brad was making, you see this with post offices. We have, and I I love the post office, regular listener, you know, I talk about how I I think the mail services is is just a great bargain, even at 63 cents or whatever it is to send a a forever stamp now. I think it's a great bargain, but you have all these post offices that are open, and in many cases, post offices are underperforming. So yes, if you've got a post office, and then two miles down the road, you've got another post office, and two miles down the road, you've got another post office, and the one in the middle isn't performing, Okay, you, you close it. And I understand that whenever they try to do that, people will just scream and say, oh, well, that's, you're going to be depriving people of access to the post office. No, it just means that you might have to go a little bit farther. But that's just the reality that's there. You cannot, even, even on the taxpayer's dime, you can't continue to keep things open if, if it makes no economic sense. Now, I'm not saying that a university or a college – has to be a huge money maker. Not suggesting that at all, but there still has to be some real-world economic stuff. I've said the same thing when it comes to, to majors. You have some of these colleges and universities, or the, the universities, that offer the, these majors that almost nobody is taking. And, and so the question becomes, if, if nobody is enrolling in the program, or for all intents and purposes, very few people are enrolling in the program, Why does it make sense to continue to offer that program so we – okay, give a handful of people who might want – I'm not even going to name a major because then people get upset with me. What do you mean saying that major? But, you know, a major that almost nobody is going into – Latin. Okay, nobody's taking Latin anymore, so you've got five people that want a major in Latin. Okay, do we have to have a a program that gets a degree in in Latin – when you've got more people that want to go into business. And and the answer is, at some point in time, there's gotta be some economic sense that's made. And for everybody that's upset about them closing Richland Center, okay, now's not the time to whine about it. The time to whine about it was years ago when people stopped going. The time for people in Richland Center to have been complaining about this is as you saw enrollment declining, that's when you needed to make a, a big move to try to get more kids to enroll, to keep the enrollment up, now that the enrollment is down there's no choice but to close it okay get ready for the next big story remember the all the controversy involving taylor swift taylor swift announces that she's doing the uh, a concert series and ticketmaster just gets completely blown away by the demand for the, these tickets and they get millions of requests and they can't fill them everybody's upset well it might happen again beyonce is going on tour as a matter of fact some of the um, some of the concert dates the ability to buy tickets are, are rolling out. I think it's today where they're starting. Ticketmaster has tried to learn from the Taylor Swift mistake. Instead of putting all the tickets to all the concerts out on sale at once, what they're going to do is they're going to have rolling release dates. So I think, for example, I think today it's, it's Chicago and Las Vegas. Don't, don't quote me on that. But before you can you can get in the queue to buy tickets, First of all, you have to register through Ticketmaster. You have to be a verified user. Then you have to get in line. And then if there's more demand uh, than there are tickets, what they're going to do is they're going to assign a lottery. So they're, they're trying to eliminate or reduce the number of ticket brokers that get in. They're trying to reduce the number of bots that can get in and just take up space I don't know if they're going to succeed or not. But the bottom line is, if you want to see Beyonce in concert, yeah, you better be, number one, prepared to be patient. Number two, you better be prepared to spend a whole lot of money. And number three, better be lucky. We'll see if this works. It sure didn't work with Taylor Swift.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at
1: The Avenue,
2: it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Let's lighten it up, this hour of the program. A lot of heavy stuff talking about in the first couple hours. The Over the last, I was counting, because this is not... This is not unusual, but in anticipation of discussing this with you, I I was looking back over the text messages that I I receive. Now, I'm not talking about through our our WTMJ text line. I'm talking about the text messages that I get on my personal phone that not a lot of people have the the number for. But you know, I, I get a number of text messages. So these are these are in general from friends of mine or acquaintances of mine who are reaching out. Over the course just of the last couple days, I was reading through them and I swear I have at least a dozen text messages from friends, family members, acquaintances that I, I cannot decipher them. You know, they they come in, you know, your phone buzzes, hey you've got a text message. I, I look it up and, and I have no clue. I have no clue what it is that they are saying to me because it's just the the words make no sense it's kind of like word salad there's no punctuation or whatever i'm like i have no idea and so my standard response is i have no idea what you are trying to say and you know what the response i get automatically back is oops i was dictating into my phone and i didn't read it before i hit send and so I, I I get it. You know, it's one of those where you you decide, okay, I, I'm not going to actually type this out, and heaven knows I'm not going to proofread this, not at all. I'm just going to you know dictate this into the phone, and then I'm going to hit send, and we'll we'll let we'll let this go where it is. Now I understand that there's the potential sometimes that this can be extremely embarrassing, where you know you say one word, and the digital assistant interprets it to be some other word, or, you know, stuff gets mashed up in context. I, I didn't have any of those this week. I have th- had those in the past. But it's, again, it just it makes no sense a- at all. It's just like word salad, and people didn't read it. I bring this up because I've been noticing this. There was a story in the Wall Street Journal the other day talking about how this has become the trend, that very, very few people type on on the keyboards anymore and instead everybody uses the feature that converts your speech into texts and the shortcut saves time and energy but at the same time the accuracy just completely and totally goes out the window technology that transcribes speech into real time keeps growing and growing but it's not getting better our number is 855-616-1620 that's the old national bank talk and text line Okay, have have you noticed this at all? And I am, look, I'm not saying I'm perfect. And I will freely admit that there's times that I will send stuff out that have typos in it, but they are legitimate typos because I. I guess I, I'm such... I'm such a nudge when it comes to this that I I still, I don't dictate. I I do it the old-fashioned way. I don't have any texts that are so important that I have to send them, you know, without being able to pull this up the screen and, and type out the messages quickly because I know what happens. And I guess I don't want to be the one that sends this thing that makes absolutely no sense at all. Have you noticed this trend? And how often does it happen to you that you get these texts, you go to read them, and... It just, it's, it's not just a question of proofreading and a spelling error. The word, the thing makes absolutely no sense, and you know what's happened. It's because the person dictated it and didn't bother to read it. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. Have you been noticing this happening more and more often? Good time to learn some grammar, now did I stammer. That is Weird Al Yankovic. Okay, here, here's what we're talking about. There was a story in the Wall Street Journal that got me thinking, and I, 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 I swear— I would say a third of the texts I get from my friends and family members, et cetera, the texts make absolutely no sense. And I know why it is. It's because they're, they're dictating them. They're, and, and you know, they end up turning into word salad. And I swear, what, one ever, out of every three texts, my response is, I have no idea what it is that you are trying to say. And then I always get the response, oh, sorry, I was I was dictating it and I didn't proofread it. It's, It's a minor inconvenience, but at the same time, I don't know. You, it can be very embarrassing because a lot of times what happens when this you do this is sometimes it just makes no sense, but sometimes Siri or Alexa or whatever your Android phone system is or whatever, they hear one word, you say one word, they think it's a different word, and they put that different word in, and it's it not only is sometimes it makes no sense, sometimes it can be downright embarrassing. Cheryl in New Berlin. Cheryl, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. I enjoy your show. Have to say that. Well, listen to it Thank as much as I can. Um, yes, I agree with you. And I have just a quick, funny story to tell you to share with you and, and the listeners. I was—I live near a baseball diamond, and my. Um, girlfriend's granddaughter was going to be playing a game over there. And I said to my friend, I'm just going to walk over and I'll meet you at the baseball diamond. And she said, great. So on my way over, I typed, I dictated, watch for me, I will be wearing my pink Packer hat. And the message came out as watch for me, I will be wearing my big pecker head. <laughs> so we had a good we had a good laugh on that one. It completely distorted it and I was I had my big pecker head on. So
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Cheryl, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well that's yeah, I mean those are the those are the type of things and then you look at it and go, Oh, that that's that's how this is. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I've noticed that texting that it changes words and can be very embarrassing sometimes but you know do you ever watch closed captioning on tv half of the time they put in words that don't make any sense as well jeff most definitely i'm guilty of this once i commented to my neighbor how handsome her son had become and a couple days later i needed him to babysit and when i said hey can you have your son text me it came across can you have your son sex me I never looked at it before I sent it. I was mortified. Needless to say, my neighbor's response was quite shocking. Um, There you go. Um, Jeff, I am dictating this text to you right now. Well, sometimes it works. Jeff, my wife dictates all her texts. I sometimes think she spends more time proofreading and correcting them than I do typing with my clumsy thumbs. Um, My wife is getting better. She's, um, She's another one that because... See to me, and this is one of the difference. I don't feel that this need to respond to texts the the second they come in. I, I I just don't. I think you know things things will wait. So my wife is not like that. She likes to get the stuff off her plate. So frequently, like we'll be in the car or something, I'll be driving and I'll, I'll hear her. You know, a text will come in and she'll feel the need to respond to it right away. Now, if, see, if it was me, number one, I wouldn't do it while I was driving. But number two, it would keep. You know, it would wait. That that text. I don't have anything that's so important to respond to people that it, it it can wait till I get to where I'm going or whatever, and then I'll sit down and write it. But my wife will will text that out because she wants to get the stuff off her plate right away. I I have been verbally teasing her about this for quite a while, so I she doesn't do it quite as much. But um, yeah, it, that it's there um Jeff I am offender to an offender to your program sometimes I have to try to jam in a text before you same change subjects and I only do it and I don't look at it <laughs> yeah that that's true too um jeff i'm sure i've sent you a few mostly because i'm trying to get into your conversation possibly because i'm afraid you're going to change the subject what frustrates me is the spell check on my phone is quick to change a word i mean to spell exactly as i'm spelling it although the text says smelling it when i can't come up with the spelling and i'm typing in the best i can and it's misspelled yeah that happens to me sometimes too i I type in the word exactly as I mean it and then spell check changes the word and then I change it back and then it changes it again on me. It's like, "No, um this this is it." Jeff, I usually use the microphone, but when you do that, you have to speak slowly and clearly. Jeff, I don't use my I don't use any talk to text apps. However, I work with physicians who dictate their notes. Occasionally their dictaphones dictate an error that we can see in the medical record. Some Sometimes these are a bit amusing. This text is hand-typed by Heather in West Bend. Um, Yes, Jeff, texting changed the word pianist to penis. Very embarrassing. (laughs) I can see that. Yeah, last night we were out and we saw the greatest pianist. Yeah, I can see how that that text you you change those words. It could make a lot of uh, difference, Jeff. I type most. Auto correct is most of my issue. Um, yeah, that's that's the element that's there too, Jeff. You really don't need to proofread the text if you speak clearly, slowly, and tell the phone where to put punctuation. But most people are probably driving while they are speak testing. You know, it's when I got out of college. I worked before I went to law school. I had I had 9 months and I worked for a time insurance company which uh, became Assurant, but Time Insurance at the time they had a, a building on like 5th and Wells and in the department I was in you would, you would dictate, this was before Al Gore invented the internet and stuff, and, and you would, you would dictate, you had a, like a dictaphone, and you would dictate, you'd call into this like central number, and you'd dictate the, the letter, and then somebody in the, the, the typing pool would type it, and they, they'd bring it to you, you know, it, and then you'd, you'd end up sending it out. That's how they used to do things. And I guess, I, I just, I remember, cause they, I learned how to do it, and they had very, they had very defined rules because again somebody's going to be listening to you, and it, it wasn't like you just it wasn't like you could you had one secretary or something that that you know knew what your nuances were this you didn't know, know who you were and get in the typing pool, so they had very very strict rules about you know telling you where to punctuate and telling you, you know, where you wanted a paragraph and things like that. So I always learned how to do that. And that it's funny that has stayed with me. So uh, to this day, if I'm ever dictating stuff, I, I fall back on, on that. I, I channel myself back to 1979 or, or wherever at time insurance and I'll, I'll be dictating and I'll say, okay, this is, it's capital P and punctuation, you know, and, and or whatever. But, but I think a lot of people just, don't do that, and I certainly understand why that would be. Uh, Jeff, I was waiting for you. I was waiting that you say sex in your texting conversation. Well, you know, I'm sure that there is an element of that. Jeff, voice recognition technology has a long way to go. The worst is closed captioning on TV. Sometimes it's ridiculous. Sometimes it's obscene. I feel so sorry for people who are really have trouble hearing. They have no idea what's going on. This is especially true when they are interviewing athletes. Well, that is the case. I guess the bottom line, though, if you're doing this, and you're sending those embarrassing messages, you are not alone. So you're, you're in the same leaky rowboat, but the bottom line is if you want to avoid the problem, maybe what you can do is just, just take a minute and, and proofread the thing, and then you won't have the word pianist confused with the word penis, for example. They just don't learn. Now, couple weeks ago, there was a huge, huge uproar when the head of the Consumer Product Safety Commission, Joe Biden's appointee, waded in and said, you know, I, we, we are... We are going to start regulating gas stoves and everything is on the table, including banning their manufacture. And and then there was this huge uproar and then everybody goes into damage mode. No, no, no. We're not going to, we're not going to be banning. We're not going to be coming and taking your, your gas stoves. We're going to be, we might just not let them make new gas stoves and stuff. And we had a huge conversation about it. And the general reaction was stay the heck out of our kitchens. I mean, seriously, the, the justification from the nanny state was, well, you know, the, the gas stoves have more emissions. And I mean, the simple answer is if there is a problem and not that we've really had any significant problems with this since they've had gas stoves, yet you, you put in a little bit, bit of venting and the problem disappears. But but the eco warriors in Joe Biden's government they they don't they don't like gas stoves this is it they, they don't like natural gas they they don't like you Using gas, natural gas furnaces to heat your homes. They don't like the fact that you use natural gas fireplaces. They hate the fact that you've got, you know, water heaters that run on natural gas because, well, we'd rather have solar heat. Well, good luck, you know, good luck using solar power to try to, you know, keep people warm in Wisconsin in February. So, okay, after this attack on the stoves went over like a lead balloon from the Consumer Product Safety Commission, here's here's the next story. Now, apparently, the Energy Department is deciding to weigh in. Biden's Energy Department just issued a proposal yesterday, which, if enacted, would set first-of-their-kind limits on energy consumptions for the stoves. So they would put a limit on on the amount of energy that the stove could use. And, of course, the fear from people in the industry is this would effectively end the use of many gas stoves. The proposal also sets energy usage, usage standards for electric cooktops and new standards for both gas and electric ovens. To which my response is, again, Joe Biden, stay stay out of my kitchen. The Energy Department's proposal would reduce energy usage by about 30%, I guess. The proposed standards are based on improved cooking efficiency through the use of design options. And so what they would do is they would essentially say, we're going to use this approach potentially to effectively ban gas appliances. A trade group is looking at the rule, but they say it appears that 95% of the market for gas stoves, 95% 95% would not meet the proposed energy department standards and so the idea would be and see the department says we're we're not proposing bans we're not proposing a ban on the gas stoves but we're going to propose standards which the gas stoves can't meet so we're not banning them but we're proposing standards that they can't meet so that just means that you can you can have them, but you have to have them that meet these efficiency goals, and if the efficiency goals can't be met, well, then you're going to have to get rid of them. But we're not banning them. It is government speak. It is the ultimate catch-22, but more importantly, it's none of the government's business. If I want to cook with a gas stove, I should be allowed to cook with a gas stove. If I want to heat my house with a water heater that's powered by natural gas, or if I want a gas-powered furnace, natural gas furnace, I should be able. To have it. It's none of Joe Biden's business. It's none of the Energy Department's business. It's none of the Consumer Protection Agency's business. But, of course, that's not where we are in America in 2023. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, how about my Marquette Warriors? I'm sorry, Golden Eagles. But um, I'm telling you something. I've been, you know, they have been. An underperforming basketball team for a number of years, and I think that the shock of sports really got them turned around. And they're they're eighteen and five, and they lost a couple ge- close games earlier in the year that they could very well have won. Um, they're number fourteen in the country right now. Big win yesterday over Villanova. They play Butler over on the weekend. I think it's conceivable they could be in a top ten team, and they're um they're just it's one of those great great stories of a team where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. By that I mean, you know, a lot of times basketball teams have one or two really great players and they have a lot of people then players that, that build off those really great players. Marquette has a whole bunch of good players and they play together really well as a team and they're a fun basketball team to watch. And I, um, I, I, I mean, I, are they going to win the Big East this year? I don't know, but they're tied for first and they've got a, they've got as good a chance as anybody. And they've also got, they're going to be a team that I don't think anybody's going to want to play in the NCAA tournament. The problem is that they're small and they, they get, when they play teams that have a couple really big guys, they, they struggle with, with that. Um, but, but they're really good and it's a fun team to watch this year. And, and that's great. You got Marquette is playing well. The Bucks. When the Bucks are healthy, when you've got you know Giannis who is playing, and when you've got Chris Middleton who is playing, and you know Drew Holiday has just been great, Brooke Lopez has been great. I- I'm telling you, I don't know that there's a better team in basketball than the Bucks when everybody's healthy. So it's 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 going to be a fun fun springtime. Next month or two is going to be really, really interesting around here if you're a basketball fan. And then, of course, you know, the Brewers spring training starts very, very shortly, and you'll be able to hear spring training games on WTMJ. So keep it tuned. All right. I, I want to revisit something we talked about a couple weeks ago because there's there's sort of a new development, but it was a fun conversation. And I, I also, whenever I do this, people say, oh, you talked about that three weeks ago. You're out of topics. And the, the truth is, there are some people who listen to this program three hours a day, every day, and I say thank you very much. And there's other people who you know come in and they'll hear a 15-minute segment or they'll hear 30 minutes there or they'll hear 30 minutes there. So when I bring something back that we discussed, especially if there's a new little hook to it, it's, it's new for a lot of people. Lakefront Brewery announced not that long ago that they were going to do away with bottled beer. They're not going to shut down their their production lines. They're not going to stop making beer, but they're going to do away with bottled beer. They are going to go exclusively to cans. So if you find a bottle of, of lakefront beer... um. If you like beer in bottles, you better snap it up because they're they're going to be gone. They're in the process of transitioning over. And I think the estimate is by, by this spring, they're going to be doing nothing but making beer in cans. Now, at the time of the original announcement, Lakefront said, well, you know, there's these studies out there that say that people prefer the taste of beer in cans to the taste in bottles. And when I talked about this a couple weeks ago, my, my my response was, "Wait a second, you know, don't 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 pee down my back and tell me it's raining. There might be all sorts of justifications why it makes economic sense to go to cans instead of bottles, but you will never, ever, ever be able to convince me that the vast majority of beer drinkers think that beer in cans tastes better than beer in bottles." And and we had this discussion. Well, I see that lakefront. They've now they've now come out with a new ad on, on this. Why Lakefront Brewery is switching to cans? Cans are infinitely recyclable. Recyclable cans can go where glass cannot. And there's an image of somebody in flip flops. Yeah, you you know you go to pools a lot of times and they'll let you have a can of beer or a can of soda, but they won't let you have bottles. Cans are much lighter than glass. Cans cut packaging materials and costs dramatically. Cans eliminate degradation from light and oxygen. Cans chill faster. Cans are safer and more durable. And cans boost shipping efficiency by nearly 50%. Okay, let's highlight what the real two em- things to emphasize are. Cans boost shipping efficiency by nearly 50%. You can ship, and I was talking of this, I have a friend who spent good portion of his career working for Miller Brewery and you know I, I was talking to this cup with him we had dinner a couple weeks ago and he said yeah he said and he, he knew the numbers off the top of his head whatever it is he said yeah it's you can have a palette of cans of beer it's just so dramatically more than a pallet of, of bottles um, also cans cut packaging materials and cost dramatically so what Lakefront is essentially saying let me cut through all this they're saying it's a lot cheaper for us to go and put beer in cans than it is to continue to put beer in bottles. At the end of the day, it's cheaper. It's cheaper to get the cans. It's cheaper to package the cans. It's cheaper to ship the cans. And in an era where beer manufacturers are fighting for, for space on, on shelves and in coolers of supermarkets and liquor stores, I, I got to believe, there's no question, cans take up less space so you can get more cans of lakefront beer in a limited amount of space than you could bottles. So that it makes economic sense. I get why they're doing it. And I appreciate lakefront being at least upfront and saying, well, okay, these, these are the reasons, and you will notice that in the list, list that they offered, at no point in time do they say bottled beer tastes worse than canned beer, or canned beer is superior to bottled beer. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, I understand there's economic reasons behind this stuff, and so I I don't, I don't fault them. It makes perfect economic sense. But I'm sorry. For me, you give me the choice between having a bottle of beer, cold bottle of beer, or a cold can of beer. If you give me those choices, I will always, always take the bottled beer because it just seems to me it tastes better out of the bottle. I understand all these concerns, and I understand you can't take the bottles to the pool, and I understand the recycling stuff. I get all that. I do. But still... From a taste perspective, I notice a difference, and I think bottled beer is much, much better than canned beer. Now, canned beer is better than no beer, but given the choice, I'll always take the bottle. How about you? 855 616 1620. We discuss in a moment. Yeah, this is a hot topic. Hey, Wisconsin, it might be cold out right now, but soon it'll be warming up and you'll need to get your home ready. That's why I'm here for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by our friends at Great Midwest Bank. This week, we're brought to you by the superheroes at Current Electric. To schedule a visit with them, you can call them at 262-786-5885 or go to callcurrent.com. It's the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on WTMJ. All right, lakefront made the decision a while back that they're they're going to drop all their glass bottles. Originally they, they said, well, you know, it's because we find surveys say the taste is better. Nah, that, that. Now now they're up front. Now the, the things that they're putting out says it essentially says it's cheaper to put it it's cheaper to put Beer in cans than it is to put it in bottles, which I, I understand. And and look, I'm not saying I never bought cans of beer. If you're going to buy, you're going to buy a case of beer. It's a lot easier a 12 pack. It's a lot easier to to navigate that 12 pack than it is of cans and it is bottles. I'm still saying that given my druthers, I would rather have bottled beer any day. Tom in Bayside. Tom, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff.
1: Uh, Hi Tom. Great topic. Uh, so I'm a, little, I'm a little biased. I work for the world's largest glass bottle manufacturer, and there's a lot of moving parts going on in the industry from the supply side, uh, one of which another very large glass bottle manufacturer is also in the can business, and they're moving away from glass and pushing the cans on a lot of these smaller breweries. But okay. Personally, I'm with you. I mean, and I think overwhelmingly, I've seen on social media rejection of cans, especially on lakefront. Uh, I, I don't think they're they're listening to the consumer.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, but I mean, I, I do get the, I mean, I, I do get the packaging, and I mean, obviously, it's easier to, it's easier to carry a twelve pack of cans than it is a twelve pack of bottles, and it takes up less store space, and and you can ship more, but. But there is a there is a taste difference. I, I definitely notice a taste difference when it comes to beer and bottles.
1: Yeah, and I mean Sprecher did the same thing and I'm sorry I'm I'm in the business, but I'm I will not drink bottle or can of beer if I don't have to. Uh it just tastes so much better and you're even talking about the Sprecher's premium sodas. Uh who's gonna pay two bucks for a can of soda
2: yeah. when you can get it yeah. in,
1: in a glass bottle. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah.
2: Tom, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I, I'm I'm not I I'm not going to that stage and say, well, if if you if you offer me a beer and it's coming out of a can, I'm not drinking it. That's not that is not what Jeff Wagner is saying here. And it, I was just. I I was looking in my little storage closet where we we have like lots of beers, you know, and it's I've got some bottles, but I've I've got cans as well. It kind of it all sorts of all. It also depends on you know what what was the price. Gee, they had a great special, great great deal on a twelve pack or a case of you know cans of Miller Lite. So yeah, I I bought it because it was a great deal. Let's talk to Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hi, how you doing, Jeff?
2: Hi, hi, Scott. What do you think?
1: Well, I think bottles, um, by a long shot, only because, yeah. uh, I agree with you, it's taste. It, the bottom line is taste, not how it's packaged, it's
2: taste. Yeah, yeah. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I, I and I appreciate all the things that they're they're saying, and I understand cans aren't going to break. Glass, you know, you drop the bottle, it's going to break. But it's just, it's just taste. Okay. Let, let Before we go back to phones, let me get a couple texts here because our text line is exploding. Jeff, beer in bottles is better. And I'm willing to pay more for it in glass bottles. Um, Jeff, I'm 65 years old, been drinking beer from Cannes since 1976. I like bottled beer, but I hate dealing with the bottles. They clink around too much in the recycling bin um jeff i drink beer when i play golf it's easier to sneak in cans yep jeff uh, beer in bottles to me is only a little bit better than cans if i'm in a bar or restaurant i drink whatever's on tap always better than bottles or cans see it's funny in some places yes um but there's other there's other places where i i order like i'll order a bottle of something do you have bottles of whatever uh tapster or whatever because some places especially places that don't turn over the beer that much that the tap beer sometimes ends up being ends up being a flat um you know no question about it um jeff although i'm not a beer drinker i think back to all our old family movies where my dad and all of his brothers were drinking bottled beer i would say his generation had lots of wisdom and bottled beer is best jeff Beer is way better in a bottle. Jeff, I only drink craft beers on draft at a bar. I'm not drinking out of a bottle or can ever. Um a regular old domestic in certain situations is fine in a bottle or a can. Jeff, pour it into a glass and you'll never know the difference. All I buy is cans. They stay colder in the summer. Well see, I typically don't have that problem because if, if, if it's in the summer and I'm opening up that bottle of beer, I'm it's it's it, it's it's going down my gullet before it has a chance to get too warm. Preach, brother, preach. Bottled beer is superior. I will not drink out of a can. Okay, so just understand, I'm I'm not taking that step. I mean, I I love their Lakefront IPA, and I'm not saying that I'm not going to drink a Lakefront IPA because it's coming out of a can. I'm just saying, all things considered, I like bottles. Um, let's, Let's get a different perspective. Tom in New Berlin. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good. I wanted Um, to give you a chance for a different perspective. uh,
0: I'm a craft beer lover. I probably have one or two every night with dinner. And anyway, I have bottles of beer and I have cans of beer.
1: And now I believe that the canned beer is colder and you want cold beer than the bottle. I'll I'll try it tonight. and take the temperature. But I I believe there there would be a difference of physics whether glass or metal keeps it colder.
2: Man, I do yeah, like I beer. mean, and clearly they do. I news. mean, clearly they stay colder longer in cans. But like I say, I don't, I typically don't have that problem. <laughs> you know, no, I, no, you I don't. all I, right. right. So the
0: other thing, since you're a beer lover, do you keep empty glasses in your fridge for your beer?
2: Uh, so I, I have, right yes, right, right. So they get that, so they get that chill on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no question. Right, hey, Tom, thanks for the call. Buy, no no okay. no i don 't know no i don 't put ice on it, but I, I appreciate that no I mean, I like the matter of fact i mean there 's nothing better in the summer. You go to that bar and whether it 's a whether it 's a tap beer or whether it 's a can of beer or a bottle beer, they say, "Would you like a chilled glass with it there 's only one answer you can give, and that answer is yes, so anyhow interesting kind of discussion you can talk about at the dinner table. And maybe if you've got, if in the refrigerator, you've got a bottle and a can, you can do your own blind taste test and you can conclude for yourself, you know, which one is better. Sorry. You'll never, I appreciate the economics of it. You will never convince me though, that canned beer is superior to bottled beer. But like I say, that doesn't mean I'm going to give up drinking canned beer.